What's been called the most beloved song in American history? Anyone know? That's right, Amazing Grace. Uh, perhaps no surprise there. Uh, the truth is, you know, we all need grace. We live in a graceless world, but there is hope because there is a God who is a God of grace. Uh, so you might be despairing about someone, you know, maybe a friend, a loved one, your child, uh, or maybe yourself, maybe you're despairing of yourself. Uh, well, listen, there is grace for you today, and I pray that this message will give you hope. Last week, uh, Daniel Baker talked about the grace of God in the story of Jonah. And one of the things that really struck me was some of the uh, similarities between the story of Jonah and the story of John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. He turned his back on God. He was literally going in the other direction. Uh, he became a slave trader and was known to be a vile man. But his experience of God's grace eventually changed his life. And I say eventually because it was a, a long journey. But he ended up becoming a pastor and he worked alongside William Wilberforce to bring about the abolition of slavery. And anyone who knew him in his younger years would have said, that is impossible. No way, right? That cannot be the same man. It's just not possible. But as we know, all things are possible for God, even your situation. We'll come back to John Newton in a minute. But first, let's just remind ourselves of the story of Jonah so we can appreciate some of these similarities. We're told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, which was one of the leading cities in Assyria, the dominant world power at that time. Go, says the Lord, call out against it, for their evil has come before me. Now, Jonah was a prophet. He's known to have lived in the 8th century BC, and it was unusual for a prophet to bring a word from God outside of Israel. But then the book of Jonah isn't like other prophetic books. His message only amounts to eight words. His story is not really about the message, it's about the man and his God. And so when he received this word from God, he got up and he went. Except instead of heading east to Nineveh, he went in the opposite direction. He went west to Tarshish, which was probably on the coast of Spain. He jumped on a ship to flee from the presence of God, which of course, is a futile endeavor. I mean, how can you flee from God's presence? Many try, of course. I mean, I can think of one or two right now. Maybe you can as well. People who've turned their backs on God, who are heading in the opposite direction. You know, maybe they got disillusioned or angry with God, angry about their situation or, or because of some calamity or injustice, something that happened that didn't seem fair. That's how Jonah felt. He was angry with God, so angry he didn't even want to live anymore. In fact, I'll look at this in my next message on Jonah. But at the end of the story in chapter 4, we're told why Jonah was angry. And ironically, the reason he gave to God was this. He said, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You see, what he feared was that if he told the Ninevites to repent, they might actually do so and God would forgive them because he's gracious and merciful. And Jonah didn't think they deserved to be forgiven, not after all the terrible things that they'd done. 
as I said we'll look at that next time but because God is gracious he did show mercy to the repentant Ninevites just as he showed mercy to the unrepentant Jonah because what we see in his story is the lengths that God will go to to bring his wayward children back to himself so while Jonah was on a ship heading away from God God sent this great wind after him that threatened to break up the ship there was this mighty storm at sea and even the hardened sailors cried out in fear because they thought they would perish meanwhile Jonah was fast asleep and needed to be woken up and no doubt uh, that was God's intention in sending this storm you know to wake Jonah up to kind of bring him to his senses it's why many Bible scholars have noted the similarities between the story of Jonah and the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son. But it wasn't God's judgment on him, it was his loving discipline. As it says in Hebrews 12:6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. You know, when he disciplines us, he's treating us as beloved children. It's because he loves us that he doesn't just leave us to go our own way because he knows it leads to death. The hardships he may allow us to go through, you know, the storms that we may encounter in life, they may seem tough. They threaten to uh, kind of break up our security in the things of this world. But we can always trust, as Jonah said, that God is gracious and merciful, full of steadfast love towards us. That his discipline is always redemptive. It's always for our good. He is a good father. He doesn't discipline his children to get even or for punishment's sake. He already did that on the cross. You know, Jesus bore all of our punishments. He paid the penalty for all of our sin, all our wrongdoing, all of our waywardness and disobedience. He bore it all on the cross so that we may never have to fear God's judgment. But if we're his children, he will discipline us because he loves us. And so God sent this great wind and the, and the sailors on the ship, they cast lots to find out uh, how this calamity had come upon them because they realized this storm was supernatural. And of course, the lots fell to Jonah and he told them to throw him in the sea so that they might be spared the storm. And when they reluctantly did as he'd said, everything became calm and the whole crew came to fear the Lord. Meanwhile, Jonah was drowning. But God, who sent the storm, now sent a great fish, perhaps a whale, to swallow him up and rescue him. Now, listen, don't get distracted by the whale and whether Jonah could have actually survived three days and nights in its belly. Of course, we've all heard the news last month of the Cape Cod lobsterman who found himself inside a humpback whale and was spat out again. But don't even go there, right? Don't get distracted by that. It's a, it's a minor part of this story. And anyway, all things are possible with God. The point is that Jonah, facing death, came to his senses and prayed to the Lord. He said, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. But that's not the end of the story because it's a story of two halves. And so we're told this in chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Then the words of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Such is God's grace he was given another chance. And that's where I want to leave his story. And now take a look at the story of John Newton. 
John Newton was born in London in 1725. His parents were godly people, and although John really didn't see much of his father, who was a shipmaster in the Merchant Navy, his mother prayed often for him, commending her son to God and praying that God would use him in his service, which when you hear his story is a huge encouragement to all parents to pray for their children. You know, never underestimate the power of a praying parent. Sadly, John's mother died when he was almost seven and he was sent to a boarding school. And then at the age of 11, he joined his father at sea. He'd already become quite worldly. And although he tried to turn over a new leaf on several occasions and even you know, spent time praying and fasting and reading God's word to try and become a better person, he would then relapse. And each time he became worse than before. And of course, life as a sailor didn't help him much either. At first he struggled with his conscience, but that became less and less. And instead of praying, he learned to curse and blaspheme. Uh, and this is what he wrote in his autobiography. It's a book called Out of the Depths. He said, I was exceedingly wretched indeed. and not only sinned with a high hand myself, but made it my study to tempt and seduce others upon every occasion. He said, I was making large strides towards total apostasy from God. God, however, was not about to let him go. Newton was press-ganged into the Royal Navy, which he hated, and he tried to desert, but he was caught and flogged with eight dozen lashes. He became so depressed, he contemplated either killing the captain or killing himself. He really didn't want to live anymore. But amazingly, he was given an opportunity to transfer to another ship bound for West Africa, where he hoped his fortunes would change. It was not to be. When he arrived there, he met with another calamity because he ended up being held captive at the slave trading post. And he spent over a year in the most miserable of conditions, uh, where there were times he was so hungry, he would have gladly joined the prodigal son in eating pig swill. But unlike the prodigal son, he didn't come to his senses. And yet God still didn't give up on him. He provided a way of escape when the captain of a British merchant ship found him and took him on board the ship to bring him back to England. You know, looking back on his life, Newton could see how time and time again, it was God who delivered him. And yet, he said, neither God's judgments and mercies made the least impression on me. Instead of being thankful to God, he continued to curse his name. He said, my daily life was a course of the most terrible blasphemy and profaneness. Not content with common profanities and cursing, I daily invented new ones. I was a slave to doing wickedness and delighted in sinfulness. In fact, the captain who rescued him told Newton it was like having Jonah on board. Uh, because a curse seemed to follow him. Um, and, and, and he was sure that all of the troubles that they met with was because of his presence on board their ship. But God still wasn't done with him. In his mercy, he sent a great wind, just as he did with Jonah. The ship was just off the coast of Newfoundland. It was March 21st, 1748, a date he'd never forget because it marked the beginning of his conversion. He wrote, I went to bed that night in my usual security and indifference, 
but was awakened from a sound sleep, just like Jonah, awakened by the force of a violent wind that broke upon us. Much of it came down below and filled the cabin where I lay with water. And this was followed by a cry on deck that the ship was going down. It was all hands on deck, manning the pumps. Men were swept overboard, including one man who went on deck just before Newton. I mean, it could so easily have been him. All night they bailed out the water while the storm raged on. Every time the ship plunged down into the depths of the sea, Newton thought that she wouldn't come up again. Everyone was terrified, fully expecting to perish. And by noon the following day, Newton collapsed, exhausted. He could do no more, and the storm showed no sign of stopping. He shouted to the other crew members, You know, if this is not enough, may the Lord have mercy on us. But even as he said it, he was struck by his own words, and he wondered, What mercy can there be for me? As his wretched life flashed before him, he said he was full of fear as he awaited his inevitable doom. And to make matters worse, the ship's captain was blaming him as the sole cause of the calamity. He said, the captain was confident that if I was thrown overboard, they would be saved. He said, I was at last found out by the powerful hand of God. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? It was at six that evening that the wind eventually died down and miraculously the ship was almost free of water. There was a glimmer of hope. But the ship was a floating wreck. It couldn't be steered and their provisions had all gone overboard. They were at the mercy of the sea and in the hands of God. And it was then that for the first time since his younger years that John Newton began to cry out to God. He wasn't praying in faith, he said, but praying in desperation. It was several days later when they'd almost given up hope that land was sighted and they limped into port on the coast of Ireland. It was only just in time because just two hours later, another violent storm battered the ship. And if they'd still been out at sea, they would all certainly have drowned. John Newton wrote, about that time, I began to know that there is a God who hears and answers prayer. He continued to pray regularly and started to read the New Testament, where he was particularly struck by the story of the prodigal son. He said, I thought that I must be the very best example of the prodigal. The goodness of the father in receiving, even in running to meet such a son, became clearer to me as an illustration of the Lord's goodness to returning sinners. He said, I was in need of an almighty saviour, and such was the one I found described in the New Testament. I saw that God could declare not only his mercy, but also his justice in the pardon of sins on account of the obedience and sufferings of Jesus Christ. And as a result, he said, the Lord had worked a marvelous thing. I was no longer an atheist. I heartily renounced my former profaneness. I was sincerely touched with a sense of undeserved mercy in being brought safe through so many dangers. I was sorry for my past misspent life and committed myself to an immediate reformation. Years later, John Newton said that he considered that time as the beginning of his return to God. And it really was just the beginning because he went back to sea, and this time on a slave trading ship bound for Africa. 
He said, by the time I arrived at Guinea, I seemed to have forgotten all the Lord's mercies. Profaneness accepted, I was almost as bad as before. The enemy prepared a train of temptations and I became easy prey. And how many times do we see this? You know, people who seem uh, genuinely repentant, who make this profession of faith, uh, but then seem to fall away. And we're left wondering whether their faith was genuine. You know, were, were they truly saved? And of course, we don't know. But I will say this. Our salvation does not depend upon our faithfulness, but on the faithfulness of God alone. It doesn't rest on how well we do, but on what Christ has already done on our behalf. And of course, yes, we're called to trust him for our salvation, but even that is a work of God's sovereign grace. It was when John Newton might have seemed to have totally fallen away that he said, once again, the Lord interposed to save me. He visited me with a violent fever. So again, Newton cast himself upon the Lord in prayer and said he was enabled to hope and believe in a crucified Saviour. And from that very hour, he said that his peace and his health began to be restored. The Lord had visited him for a second time. John Newton still had some struggles and doubts in the following years, but by God's grace, he grew stronger and stronger in his faith. He eventually came to speak out against the evils of the slave trade that he left behind to become a pastor. He apologized that his confession came late. He said, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. But God used his story to influence the government as he proved to be a great ally and mentor to William Wilberforce and lived to see the passing of the Slave Trade Act. You know, John Newton's story is such an incredible testimony to the amazing grace of God, the God who came to him a second time, just like he came to Jonah a second time. That is our God, a God of second chances and third and fourth, right, is a God of grace. The point is that God won't let go of you. You cannot run from his presence. His mercy will pursue you wherever you may wander and to whichever depths you may descend to. And yes, he will bring discipline and trials if necessary. He will send a great wind to bring you to your knees, but it's because he loves you. It's not punishment, it's his mercy to bring us back to himself and to deliver us from evil. And what a huge encouragement to parents this should be. That if your child who prayed to Jesus when they were young, rebels in later years and lives a worldly, immoral life, who may even declare they're an atheist and turn their backs on God, there is still hope because God will not turn his back on them. So pray, pray for them when they're young, pray for them when they are old. And of course, this doesn't just apply to your children. Maybe this is for yourself. God might be using this right now to encourage you to turn to him, to cry out to him. You know, he's waiting for you. He won't turn you away. He's full of love for you. He wants to embrace you. Or perhaps this is for someone you know. Listen, God hears our prayers and is working out his purposes. Even when things seem as bleak and hopeless as can be, there is always hope. No one is beyond saving. 
No one is beyond God's grace. No one who has wandered cannot be brought back home, right? It's no wonder that John Newton's most famous hymn, Amazing Grace, has become the most beloved song in America. It was his life story, his personal experience of God's grace, but it's given hope to so many other people too. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Listen, whatever you're facing in life right now, whatever troubles, trials and snares you may encounter, can I encourage you to put your trust in the God who is gracious and merciful, who is full of love towards you and who has promised good to you. And if you ever doubt that, Look to the cross and see how much he must love you, that he was prepared to die for you. You know, Jesus endured the ultimate storm. He was willing to be thrown overboard so that we might be spared, so that we might be with him forever. Put your trust in him today. I also just want to make the observation that one of the reasons why John Newton struggled so much was that for the longest time he didn't have a church. He didn't have a Christian community around him. He didn't have others walking alongside him in the faith. And God never intended for us to walk alone. We need others. Not just attending a meeting each week, but you know, people we're in relationship with, people who we're sharing our trials and our triumphs with, people who will challenge us and who we can also get to encourage as well. Are you part of a small group community like that? If not, please get in touch, right? Maybe I can help to connect you. I'll leave the last word to John Newton. He said, because of our own ignorance and unbelief, we often fail to understand the Lord's dealings with us and we are all too ready to complain. If we knew everything from God's perspective, we would rejoice. However, there is a time coming when our spiritual warfare will be finished and our perspective enlarged and our understanding increased. And then we will look back upon the experiences through which the Lord led us and be overwhelmed by adoration and love for him. We will then see and acknowledge that mercy and goodness directed every step. We shall see that what we once mistakenly called afflictions and misfortunes were in reality blessings without which we would not have grown in faith. Nothing happened to us without a reason. No problem came upon us sooner, pressed on us more heavily or continued longer than our situation required. God in divine grace and wisdom used our many afflictions, each as needed that we might ultimately possess an exceeding and eternal weight of glory prepared by the Lord for his people. 
Amen.